I'm Adrian. Welcome to I'm Also. My guest today is Peter Blakeway. Peter is an award-winning culinary chef. He has worked with some of the best chefs in the world, run his own acclaimed restaurant, being the host of several TV food shows, is an educator, and has released his own cookbook. Hello, Peter. Hi, Adrian. I'm just listening to that. It all sounds really good, doesn't I know, it? I struggled to get through that list. Yeah. Uh, I guess there's so much going on. Um, I know you always have busy summers. We've got summer coming up here, so what's your busy summer this year? Oh, um, I've got a, the work with uh, Heston Blumenthal and his products, so I'll be bouncing around the country um, uh, you know, pretty much every weekend. Um, you started that last year, didn't you? Two years ago oh, two now. Two years ago. Two years ago now, yeah. Um, and what do you do in that role? Officially, I'm the brand ambassador for Everdure by Heston Blumenthal, which is um, his product range um, that is barbecues and, and things like that, um, designed out of Everdure in Australia. Um, but uh, Heston's input is just mind-blowing. Oh, really? So it's not uh, just the, the hands-off, got my name on it. I don't believe Heston does hands-off. Yeah. Um, uh, no, it's, it, it's an incredible opportunity, an opportunity to – um, you know, work with an amazing team in New Zealand and in Australia, but also with the team in London. So, um, you know, and as you pointed out, I'm an educator of um, the next generation of chefs. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of nice being connected to one of the best chefs in the world. Yeah, because I remember you saying to me previously, you've, you got to meet him and you've... Yeah, he was in New Zealand, um, gosh, about a year ago. Yeah. Um, and we had a, a fantastic launch of um, some new products. Yeah. Um, and as much as Hessen is uh, an astonishing human being and a um, you know a truly challenging human being to get to work with his team, his team of experimental chefs, yeah. wow, wow, just wow, yeah. <laughs> you know, amazing. Yeah. Um, so that'll be most of the summer. I'm also, I don't think I actually told you this. I'm also doing my masters at the moment, so oh my I've got my thesis to write this summer. What's that on? You'd think it would be food, and and it kind of started as food, but um, it's actually a master's in design enterprise. Um, and through my work with Food Rescue, um, I realised there's a problem in in how do you define a, a social enterprise. So that's my master's. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the Food Rescue. What actually what involved? Oh, Food Rescue, I've been involved with for about um, gosh, about five years. Um, they asked me. If I'm being absolutely honest, I was really busy, and they asked me if I somebody asked me if I would go along and and talk with them for ten minutes because they were having problems. Um, I thought, oh, you know, I've got ten minutes. That's it. That's all. I'm, you know, I'm I'm really busy. I met these two incredible people down there. Ten minutes turned into about five hours, uh, and to be honest, I've been there ever since. Um, the difference that they're making to Toronga and to um, just our local community is is mind-blowing. Um, we're talking about 10 tonnes of food rescued from supermarkets, shops, um, etc. Uh, every week. Every week? Every week, going out to 60, um, 60 charities um, for people that are actually hungry. And we miss the point when we look at the Bay of Plenty and, you know, it's in our name, isn't it? It's yeah. plenty. Um, it, we should all be, you know, fully fed and happy and all the rest because mm -hmm. we live in the Bay of Plenty and it's beautiful outside. But actually we have a chronic um, chronic undernutrition, um, particularly in our young, uh, you know, and it, it's how many kids are going to primary schools and high schools having had no breakfast? Mm. Um 
you know, food rescues managing to put out good, usable food to 60 charities. How many people that is actually feeding? You know what? Who knows? It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. Ten tons a week. Um, all of food that we as a community have deemed to be worthless. And you know what? It's not. Mm. You know, um, It's actually a good point. Food rescue isn't about dumpster diving. Um, you know, I, you kind of need to make that point. Um, our supermarkets uh, have been brilliant at, at jumping on board and trying to um, get involved. But the reality is that a huge amount of food that is perfectly good to eat um, because of legislation and because of business rules, uh, cannot stay for sale. Um, you know, uh, it's even, like past expiry dates. Oh, past expiry dates. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, um, there was a certain chocolate company that, um, a certain New Zealand chocolate company that, that limits it a little bit, um, that uh, had a whole lot of white chocolate that the printer had put the wrong date on. And it was actually more cost-effective for them to throw it out than it was to reprint it. Um, and instead of throwing out, they gave to um, Food Rescue. Uh, and you know what, white chocolate at Christmas to the children's charities, it was it was a gift. But um, it, it's, it's great. These days down there, um, we fundraise for a big kitchen, a uh, commercial kitchen. Um, and a certain ex-tutor from here who you know very well, uh, Mr. Lee Pierce um, has taken over there as the uh, the kitchen manager and the education manager, um, and we're able to take students through the Good Neighbour Kitchen that would not make it to Toyohomai. They wouldn't make it to where we are. Um, they're kids that are falling through the cracks. Um, and for the first time, it's been quite a while now that, that we've had this going, um, for the first time this year, I've just accepted two students for February here to study. I should say we're here as... Oh, sorry. Toyomai, the um, um, Institute of Technology in the Bay of Plenty. Yeah. And what's your job title? Uh, job title? Do we have those? I think they're uh, on the emails. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a chef tutor. I'm a senior academic staff member um Doing I'm, his masters. I'm, I'm 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 just with the one that gets in the way and tries to do things a little different um but yeah no we've got the first two coming through kids that have fallen through the cracks kids that that didn't receive a proper education because they couldn't be bothered to turn up um you know after working with food rescue and working with good neighbor they're ready to start a career um and they're joining us here next year to start, um, you know, with a one-year program uh, in tertiary education. Uh, to me, you know, not only are we feeding people, but we're, you know, the without getting too sort of deep and philosophical, we're we're feeding them physically, but also feeding the soul. We, you know, um, it's not good enough just to hand out. We've got to change what we do. Um, and if we can change one person, two people, three people, um, then we're getting somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah, it's the, another part of what I did. Oh, so I was going to say, we had the food rescue. Was it this year or last year you did that as a <laughs> uh, you Actually, yeah, this is quite a good one for radio because if everyone just sort of closes their eyes and, and picture the image, we did a ladies' long lunch Um Imagine the mayhem. We put a uh, a marquee up in the middle of the campus. Um, uh, <laughs> I know it was a blur for several people by the end of the night. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, it was uh, – th- what was that? There was uh, 350 
extremely wealthy women um, who paid a large amount to buy tickets. Uh, we used more than 250 students across many disciplines from uh, your own department yeah. to um, uh, carpenters and, and, and all of this sort of stuff. Um, but in the kitchens alone, we had um, uh, about 100 students uh, and seven tutors uh, all working together to produce. Uh, we produced a seven-course meal. Um, at the absolute highest end, uh, it was stunning, stunning yeah, food. And every single piece was rescue food. Everything was rescued. What that meant was our students got to do some real-world, make-a-difference cooking uh, for some very discerning guests. Now, across that that day, um, we raised uh, about $140,000 um, for a couple of charities, one of them being Food Rescue. Um you know, and what it means really is my students get to see the food rescue van out there on the road and uh, things like that, and they paid for that. Mm. You know, they paid for that with a hard week's work. Yeah, it sounded good from the outside. It was truly scary. Uh, <laughs> the I, we, You'll notice we've never done it again. No. Um, it was a great, great day, and yeah. it was really good. Yeah. The, the benefit in doing it twice. Um, last year, that was two years ago now. Last year we opened... Um, same sort of event, we opened seven pop-up restaurants for three hours only in the center of the city. Um, and uh, our aim was to do two thousand to serve 2,000 people uh, in three hours, and we, we managed to serve 1,500. So it was a really wet day, unfortunately. Yeah. This year, we're going again, but this time we're going to open 14 restaurants in and see if we can serve 5,000 people wow. in three hours. Uh, and again, every stitch it'll be rescue food. Um, we've got fourteen of the best head chefs from around the Bay of Plenty um, going to run each kitchen and their menus. And um, uh, you know, I get to make sure that it all works. Great, uh, great team around. But yeah, uh, yeah. that's great. Um, well, you've got your Coast Guard <laughs> shirt on, which kind of segues into when I was looking at you know your your history, and it said. Education, Britannia, Britannia Royal Naval College. Yeah, I, I think I was one of those idiotic uh, young boys that saw the Falklands um, conflict on on TV, mm. um, and uh, I joined the navy during it. Um, during it, uh, finished my training after it, but um, the navy was. I, I come from a very small fishing village in, in Yorkshire, uh, in the north of England. Um, the same fishing village that Captain Cook first went to sea from. Um, I guess that idea of staring at the horizon and, and wondering what the opportunities are, um, kind of in the blood. Um, so at the time, going to join the Navy gave me the chance to see the world um, and get out there. Um, and I didn't join as a chef. It wasn't that wasn't what I was doing. I was a navigator, mm. um, and the similarities to Captain Cook kind of keep on going. Um, you know, uh, uh, I, the food rescue stuff is is really awesome. But you know, Cook, one of Cook's famous things was he was um, the first uh, mariner that that effectively cured scurvy um, prior to Cook. 
um, at least two thirds of every ship that went to sea for for, for longer than about thirty days, um, at least two thirds would die. Um, Cook went round the world for three years and he lost no one to scurvy, not one. Um, now he was experimenting with other people's research, but um, the diligence of the man to save life, save lives through food. Um, was quite incredible, um, and now I live in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, there's a little piece of me that wonders if I'm sort of kind of followed him around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, hey, so how, what, when did you decide to become a chef? Then, if it wasn't, <laughs> you're learning more about me than most people know here, um, Adrian. Uh, I came out of the navy because I was yacht racing. Um, I raced professionally um, for a few years. Uh, I was racing yachts in the Navy, but I I came out uh, so that I could pursue that. Um, I got very badly injured in uh, a race um, coming back from Spain. Um, And if I'm being absolutely honest, I don't remember any of it, but I came to in a hospital in Vigo in northern Spain. Mm. What class of yacht was it? Uh, Maxis, the big boys. uh, the big boys, and I'm old enough, obviously, that that was in the days before there was any restrictions on how well you could cheat. I mean, how uh, <laughs> uh, how well you could manipulate the performance of your boat. Mm. Um, it was back in the old days. It was wonderful. Um, but yeah, I, I came to in a, in a hospital in northern Spain um, with a sailing career that was most definitely over. Um and um, the chef thing started as a challenge from my sailing friends. Um, they actually looked at me and said, what are you going to do? And I, oh, I've got no idea. Uh, and they said, well, you've always been full of yourself about food. You talk about it all the time. Why do you do that? Um, and so I did, you know, the oldest chef's apprentice on the planet. Um, most chef's apprentices were in the sort of 16, 17 year old sort of range and I was in my 20s yeah, it's hard work isn't it uh, it was hard work but uh, you know I I found something that lit my fire um, in the biggest way and, and could actually bring together everything that I'd done this sort of idea of giving back and um, you know and, and helping but also this idea of, of seeking perfection and, and you know, um, going to extraordinary lengths to find things that no one had ever seen before. Mm. Uh, these things, you know, really tickled me. And, and I found that I really enjoyed that slightly bizarre underworld that we have that's the world of the chef. Um, this incredible teamwork, the almost family um, atmosphere in a commercial kitchen and the, the hard work and the, the passion um, really appealed to me. Um, some would say that's my own personal psychosis, but it's it's something really special. This is his own little world. I've oh yeah, a few kitchens myself, and it definitely has its own. Yeah, I've never been one of the screamy, shouty, sweary chefs. Mm. Um, that's not my way. Um, you know, my teams have always found that um, I go quiet to the point that they even can wonder if I'm well. I'm occasionally they probably wonder if I'm still breathing but they, they wonder if I'm actually listening and hearing um, but that's my way um, everyone's different you know thankfully in our industry uh, um, the the old ways of violence and aggression are slowly disappearing um, you know as this new breed of chefs come along that won't tolerate that but um, you know like every industry we've got a long way to go mm. 
Just as a sort of a side note, I've met a few chefs, but um, sometimes when they're cooking for themselves, it's well, I found it can be quite different to what they <laughs> cook for other people. What's <clears throat> do you have like a go-to if you're by yourself at home, say, and you're a bit hungry? What would you? Oh, steak sandwich and Hagen Dazs ice cream. Yeah, every time, every time. No, you know, um, it it gosh, it's quite hard. Um, we've. Uh, you you well you probably will realize this because you do know my family um my wife and i've been married for very nearly 25 years um all of our business life um and we've got two amazing boys um both at university so we have always eaten as a family um food like a lot of chefs actually um food becomes so much part of your life that um it's really important uh we you know, when I was in the restaurant, it was a lot harder, but um, we have always eaten together um, and food becomes a central part of our day. So um, when we sit down and eat as a family, the TV goes off, the phones get put away. Um, you know, we cook together as a family, we we eat together as a family, we wash up as a family. Um, and it's been instrumental in keeping us as a family very grounded. Um, that said, yeah, I do cook um, at home a lot. Uh, it, this next bit is going to sound a little dodgy, but I tend to experiment on my family in a culinary way um, because I love food. Um, I love playing with what food can do um, and the science behind it. So, yeah, we, we do do that uh, an awful lot. And both my boys now at university have, um, have learned the power of food. Um, I'm now getting text messages saying, Dad, I've got a date. What's a good meal? Yeah. Um, which is terrifying. But Yeah, because you work, I was, like you said, you work a lot with your wife, don't you still? Yeah, very much so. Um, very much so. Um, I met uh, my wife in, in Florida. Um, I There was a chef I wanted to see his work. Um, and you know, when you're a young chef, the best way of seeing work is, is to go and work for free. Um, we call it doing a stage. Uh, and so I would take stages wherever I could to just learn more. Um, and one of them was in Florida and Annie was assigned to me, um, to look after me, um, at this massive hotel in Boca Raton, Florida. And she was, um, the training manager. That she's English, not American, yeah. um, but she'd um, yeah, she was assigned to me, and I always figured no one told her to stop. <laughs> Good story. It's um, not it's not fully true. We, <laughs> but uh, but it's close enough. It's close enough. Uh, all all of the details are there. Um, you know, uh, I I was there for about four weeks, um, and I came away having learnt a lot. Yeah. Uh, went back to um, I already had the restaurant in Scotland. Um, went back to to the restaurant and and started working. And about a year later, uh, I got a call from um, uh, this woman who moved into Glasgow, saying, "You know, we met in Florida, and uh, you know, I know you've got an hotel somewhere in Scotland." And I thought I'd pop and see you, uh, and that was Annie. Smooth. She was very. <laughs> <laughs> Just one other question I had, not because um, I read you, you'd worked in a Michelin star restaurant. Is that right? Several. Yeah. Yep. yeah. What's 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 what do you have to do to get that star as opposed to your standard kind of? What takes you from no star to star? 
It's very interesting. The the Michelin star system has changed a little bit since I started. Um, I'm not saying it's been downgraded. That's not fair. Um, it's been changed to include more food types and to celebrate food culture better. Yeah. Um, in the early days, it was there just to celebrate the French yeah. food culture and getting a Michelin star in the UK was incredibly hard mm. if you weren't doing French um, and fine dining. So um, it's moved on a lot. Basically, to get a Michelin star, you're, it'll be the hardest work you will ever do, yeah. um, and it won't stop. Um, you don't get it and sit back and relax and wait for the money to roll in. You will never stop working at it. Mm. The passion needed by the entire team, the level of skill needed by the entire team, um, there's a reason why there's so few. Um, it's an incredibly hard thing to get. Um, put basically to get a Michelin star, it is the most complex food you will ever do in your career, and you have no let-up, none. You cannot afford one mistake. There is no space. Um, it's incredibly hard to work at two-star Michelin level. Um, frankly, it's um, possibly you know the thing of dreams or possibly nightmares. Um, Three-star... Now we are talking about culinary gods. Um, this well, July last year, I was working at um, the Fat Duck, um, Hessen's restaurant in Bray, um, which is a three-star Michelin. And to give you an idea of the amount of work that goes in there, um, he has eighty-six chefs servicing that restaurant wow. um, for forty-four seats. Wow! Um, those chefs work six days a week, minimum of eighteen hours a day. Um, and they are the best chefs in the world. Every single one of them is the best of their level yeah. and their age in the world. They are stunning, stunning, stunning chefs. Um, to get a Michelin star, you've got to want it. Yeah. And you've got to be prepared to do anything. Um, the idea of a social life, the idea of, you know, if you've got a pet, then better be a goldfish. Um, you know, if you think you want to exercise, uh, give it up. Um you know, at three-star Michelin level, it's your life and there's nothing else. Yeah, this must be a lot of burnout if you're working at that level. It is something that as I get towards to my stage of my career now, um, I worry tremendously about. Um, the mental health of our industry is um, really serious. We Chefs are a bizarre mix of the, um, the creative and the craftsman. Um, at one minute we're expected to be an artist um, and the next minute we're a tradesman. Um, we design something that is so incredibly uh, beautiful, scientific. It's touching every one of your senses um, more than any other work of art really can. Um, and then having dis done that design work and that artistry, we then expected to just repeat it again and again and again and again. Now, those two human traits aren't compatible. Um, what it means is we have a, a large amount of people in our industry who, if they if they're consider themselves to be tradespeople, they will struggle with the art. And if they consider themselves um, artists, they'll struggle with the craft. It's incredibly rare to have someone that can carry both. Uh, what that means is we have a huge mental health issue within our industry. Add into that the lack of sleep, the hard work, the the very physical nature of what we do, the heat, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
and it does trouble me a lot. Um, over the last, well, over the years, we have lost some of our finest talent around the world and continue to do so on a, you know, horrifyingly weekly basis, um, you know, and, and trying to find ways of, um, I'm, I'm, I, I, I can't say I'm looking for answers because I, I wouldn't know what an answer was in this. Um, trying to be there for my industry to say, look, we've got to do things differently and we've got to try and be different. Um, otherwise, this isn't going to stop. Um, has become a very important part of what I do. Very important part of what I do. Mm. Well, so, it's kind of, it's, oh, I was going to say food for thought, but that's a bit lame. <laughs> <laughs> Summing up, though, we'll, we'll leave, leave end on a positive. So we'll just uh, we'll go through your the pl- plug plug the events of what's coming up. You've got the oh, your brand ambassador. Gosh, um, look at anywhere all over New Zealand. Um, look out for Everdeal by Hess and Blumenthal, um, and I'll be doing demos. Um, do they have a website? Yes, they do. Um, Everdeal by Hessen um, at um, at dot co dot nz. Um, that the That'll be going on everywhere. Um, next year, I've got a home shows, food shows, and a few other things. Um, we'll be doing more pop up restaurants. Mm, you um, do quite a live stuff as well, don't you? As a- yeah, I do. I do go live um, as often as I can. I, yeah. I, I kind of love. Yeah, some would say it's the ego. Um, uh, although few people, uh, I think, are natural in front of a camera or or, or even a microphone. Um, the very first time I had to come in front of a microphone was about 12 years ago um, in New Zealand. And I remember arriving two hours early and walking round and round the self-same building you worked in. Yeah. You were there that day. Um, and, you know, practice makes perfect. You keep going and you keep going. So I, there's a piece of me that I know the image outside of me is this, of a gregarious, outgoing um type of person the reality is i'm actually quite shy mm. um i'm very it's a pretty common thing though isn't it you see sort of i think it is people get often quieter as soon as the microphone goes off yeah i think it is i i really enjoy my own company um you know i i really value my home space um and and try never to crowd that um there's a piece of me as well that loves getting up in front of an audience and um you know, proving what I can do. Uh, and I, maybe that is a bit of arrogance. I'm not sure. Uh, I, somewhere along the lines, my, my grandmother, a very wise old thing she was, uh, said, if you've got a brain, you've got a mouth, connect the two, you'll be fine. Um, and I guess I like connecting those two every now and again. Yeah. That's a good space to spot to finish on. Fantastic. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Thanks. Great. <laughs>